0: Welcome to Central Line, Leadership in Healthcare, the show that shares stories, experiences, and advice from notable and innovative leaders in healthcare. Let's get started with your host, Leah Wichick.
1: Dr. Upton Allen is a professor of pediatrics at the University of Toronto. He is Chief Division of Infectious Diseases Hospital for Sick Children, Sick Kids, is Interim Director of the Transplant and Regenerative Medicine Centre, Hospital for Sick Children. Dr. Allen is a Senior Associate Scientist in the Research Institute, Hospital for Sick Children. His primary appointment is with the Division of Infectious Diseases, Department of Pediatrics at the Hospital for Sick Children. He is cross-appointed as a professor in the Institute of Health Policy, Management and Evaluation, University of Toronto. Past awards include the Harry Jerome Award, the African Canadian Achievement Award of Excellence in Health Sciences, the University of the West Indies Vice Chancellor's Award, and the Clinical Science Established Investigator Award from the American Society of Transplantation. In 2018, he was awarded the Order of Ontario, which is the highest honor awarded by the province of Ontario. He is leading research studies on different aspects of COVID-19, including genetic susceptibility immune response profiles. Within the Black Canadian communities in Ontario, he is leading studies addressing COVID-19 antibody testing and associated risk profiles as well as immune responses to COVID-19 vaccines. In addition, he's working closely with various groups addressing issues relating to COVID-19 among racialized groups, including but not limited to vaccine education and hesitancy. He's co-chair of the Health Committee of the Black North Initiative with a focus on equity, diversity and inclusion within the healthcare system. Hello, Dr. Ellen. Good morning. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Good, good. Thank you so much for being here at Central Line Leadership in Healthcare. Uh, I know you're very, very busy these days, so I am so grateful for you taking the time to talk with me.
0: My pleasure.
1: So, to get us started, I'm curious to hear about your story. What has brought you to this place in time?
0: Well, as... Uh... An infectious diseases specialist, Um, my journey uh, is one that uh, started a long time ago, uh, first in uh, starting my medical training in Jamaica, at the University of the West Indies, followed by uh, postgraduate medical education at the University of Toronto, and then specialization in infectious diseases and clinical research training at the University of Toronto and McMaster University uh, respectively. And then subsequent to that, um, uh, becoming an infectious diseases specialist uh, to the point now where I'm uh, leading an infectious diseases division at a major uh, pediatric center at a time when you we are experiencing COVID-19. So it's been a long journey, a fascinating one, uh, a challenging one at this point in time because of uh, COVID-19.
1: So maybe share with everyone a little bit more about what you do now.
0: As an infectious diseases specialist um, and uh, division chief of infectious diseases, I have a number of different uh responsibilities. First, as a clinician, I still have to take care of patients. Um, These patients are seen in an ambulatory outpatient type setting in a clinic, as well as um, inpatients uh, uh, for whom uh, doctors will request an infectious diseases consultation. And I'm one of the clinicians who uh, would be involved in doing those consultations. In addition to that, uh, I'm involved with uh, policy at a hospital level, as well as uh, working with others uh, in the province uh, to uh, inform policy at uh, other levels outside of the uh, hospital. So for example, I participate as a member of the COVID science uh, advisory table. Uh, in addition, uh, I have administrative responsibilities as a division chief, and that involves um, running a division as a leader. And there's several things that that involves, uh, including uh, guiding and mentoring uh, students and uh, junior faculty members. Uh, as a, a clinician at a major academic center, such as SickKids at the University of Toronto, uh, I'm still a teacher. And still so, um, teacher I still teach um, from the point of view of uh, infectious diseases and related aspects of, um, of uh, the disciplines that impinge on infectious diseases.
1: You have quite a um, diverse group of roles that you're involved in at the moment. I'm curious to hear, what about your work excites you?
0: It's, it's really uh, a, a, an amazing um, thing to be uh, in, involved in the transformation of the care of people who are ill and to see young children who are ill with infectious diseases Uh, bounce out of their illness and and, and ill one day, and then the next day or days later, they're a totally different individual. And that is very rewarding. Uh, Also very rewarding and exciting at the same time is the opportunity to see the careers of individuals become transformed uh, from people who are very green, so to speak, uh, to people who have had have advanced through the system themselves uh, to leadership uh, positions, so being able to get patients better, being able to capacity build, and to help facilitate the training of the next uh, next generation of trainees um, uh, or, or next generation of specialists is really quite exciting.
1: Hmm. Well, That's remarkable. I I just hear that desire to give back and contribute in so many ways, as you mentioned, not only from the patients that you care for, and as you said, having them recover from their illness, but to helping others become the best that they can be, the best clinicians they can be, um, and seeing their careers develop and grow. I'm wondering, with the scope of work that you've done over the years, what are you most proud of? That's
0: a really great question in terms of, uh, you know, the scope of work and uh, is there a single thing, you know, of which I'm most proud? Um, I I would have to say perhaps um, more broadly speaking, being able to uh, help and facilitate the careers of uh, individuals from around the world. And so the capacity building, the training that went into the development of the careers of uh, individuals who are uh, taking care of patients around the world. And, and we've had, and I've had the opportunity to train uh, many individuals from many parts of the world, all continents. And I think that has been extremely Rewarding uh, for me, uh, I must say. Um, in addition to uh, training people, uh, being able to assist with the care of uh, individuals um, locally, but also internationally, where one of the initiatives that I'm involved mm-hmm. with is the Sick Kids uh, Caribbean Initiative, that uh, focuses on the care. Of uh, children with cancers uh, in the Caribbean, and our goal with that particular initiative is to try to transform the lives of children, to uh, to to address the the gap that results from uh, that that exists uh, simply because somebody uh, is born in another country. And I, I give the example of. Um, uh, two cousins, one born in Toronto and has a, a, a leukemia or cancer of the blood and has a very high chance of surviving, you know, the 80s in terms of, uh, you know, chance of survival are greater. Whereas that's uh, not a cousin uh, born in a country uh, in the Caribbean um, might have close to a 50-50 chance of surviving. And so... One of the areas that I'm involved with, along with uh, some of my colleagues, um, is trying to uh, enhance uh, capacity building that would take care of those types of children so that the cousin who is born uh, in uh, Port of Spain, Trinidad, or Kingston, Jamaica, is not going to have a 50 50 chance of surviving when their other cousin, born in Toronto, uh, has a much much higher chance of surviving
1: that's such important work now when you say uh, capacity building in that regard what is it that you're referring to
0: so so this relates uh, to two areas but but uh, primarily uh training the next generation of um specialists okay um and uh, so that they can take care of um of patients um uh, in their local setting as opposed to the patients have to tr- having to travel abroad uh, mm-hmm. to be trained. Second is capacity building in the term in terms of um, support services like um, laboratory technologists who uh, would then enable for there to be a more accurate uh, and rapid diagnosis of whatever medical Condition one is focused on. What
1: strikes me about what you just shared is it's really about sustainability.
0: It is. uh, It's it's about sustainability. Absolutely right. That um, that one wants uh, for there to be uh, in any environment uh, the uh, the development and the evolution of um, sustainable care of a high quality that. uh, can be maintained over uh, a significant uh, length of time.
1: Wow, what important work, as I mentioned. Um, and I'm, I'm curious to know, with that experience uh, in building that capacity, is there a particular story, success story that comes to mind?
0: There, there are many, uh, many success stories. Uh, it's hard to um, uh, single out um any particular uh, example without um, getting into uh, issues relating to uh, patient confidentiality. Yes. Uh, so, suffice to say though, suffice to say that um, there, there's absolutely nothing more amazing than, um, than seeing uh, a patient who is, um, you know, for, for want of a better phrase, on debt's death's door, and then uh, weeks later, seeing them um, walk into your clinic, uh, completely brand new, that's absolutely amazing. Um, And it's just one of the most um, uh, fulfilling things that uh, physicians like myself um, will will experience um, in our clinical practices.
1: Oh, I'm sure. What profound impact. Um, I'm sure it's quite emotional when you see that and when that happens.
0: Absolutely, absolutely.
1: Now, you've taken on several leadership roles um, currently, but also in your past work. I'm curious to know what has been maybe the most significant challenge from a leadership perspective? From,
0: uh, in terms of challenges from uh, a leadership perspective, um, there there are always many challenges um, in uh, any leadership role that one takes on. Uh, And and, and it's hard to say that one is more, you know, challenging than the other. Uh, You know, one in any leadership role has to deal with different personalities. Um, and so one has to, you know, decide at what, to- at what, uh, you know, what, what, on uh, what circumstances are you going to be somebody who uh, is a diplomat to accommodate or somebody who um, is less diplomatic in terms of our decision making. Um, uh, it's also... Um, uh, important to recognize um, challenges that are uh, brought about um, uh, because um, uh, one um, uh, is uh, dealing with um, a time crunch where, you know, everyone's incredibly busy. Um, and so trying to put in the amount of time, uh, it can be, can be very challenging. Uh, One of the major challenges that leaders face is that um, for every new leadership role that you take on, uh, there are uh, a number of secondary activities that that role, uh, you know, uh, generates. So you're now on a new committee and because you're on that committee generates another two or three committees. so it is um, a cascading uh, set of activities. Um, uh, there are um, uh, other, you know, uh, challenges. I, I think that um, uh, one needs to be uh, aware of um, as, as somebody, as a person of color and, uh, you know, as a, as a black man, i, I not, it's not lost in me that um, in some uh, positions that I've been in, uh, I'm, I'm the only person who's been in that position, has ever been in that position. And so uh, there are sometimes um, uh, challenges uh, that that brings um, uh, with respect to um, uh, the people with whom one uh, is interacting. But but for the most part, uh, things have been uh, uh, extremely positive in that regard.
1: I'm very glad to hear that for the most part, it's been positive um, and that you also recognize, as you mentioned, that it's it's not lost in you, that uh, you are uh, a Black man and a person of color who is in these leadership roles where perhaps that hasn't occurred before. Um, and I know you do a lot of work around equity, diversity, and inclusion, and I'm wondering what has been the driver for that work? Has it been your personal experience or or something else?
0: The um, involvement in issues relating to equity, diversity and inclusion, uh, from my perspective, comes from a a position of um, recognizing the importance of uh, from a healthcare perspective, the importance of uh, optimizing outcomes um, uh, of uh, outcomes of the various illnesses, various conditions that we you know um, uh, take care of uh, for patients uh, and And it's really clear that um, those outcomes can be, optimized uh, when one addresses issues around equity, diversity and inclusion. So with that in mind, if uh, enhancing equity, diversity and inclusion brings about better outcomes for patients, then it's a no brainer that one should address that. And, and, and in so doing, you know, I feel that I can play a role to to, uh, improve outcomes Uh, and and so that's um, one of the angles from which I come with respect to uh, a focus on equity, uh, diversity and inclusion where it's absolutely clear that outcomes um, uh, can be enhanced when one addresses equity, diversity and inclusion within the healthcare
1: space. It's interesting what you're saying about that Having that focus on outcomes, and obviously, as you said, addressing equity, diversity, and inclusion enhances the outcomes. Where are we falling short in healthcare around that?
0: With um, respect to um, uh, you know where we're falling short, um, I don't know that uh, it, it it's totally an issue of falling short um, versus. Um, uh, the the journey um, has started, but uh, some folks are much further along the journey than others. Um, And so I uh, tend to view it that way, that most people are moving in the right direction with respect to equity, diversity, and inclusion. It's just that some people are much further ahead than others, and some people are just getting started. So there's a, a fair amount of work that needs to be done, a fair amount of road that needs to be covered uh, in, and, and traveled to get us um, uh, much further ahead. Uh, but in terms of um, you know the goals that one uh, is trying to achieve, one of those, I think, relates to uh, in in, in health care space uh, relates to the, the simple fact uh, that patients thrive better and their data to support this but they thrive better in an environment where the uh, healthcare personnel who are taking care of them uh, mirror what their community looks like. Um, and and so what it means is that one needs to uh, uh, ensure that there are sufficient members of uh, the healthcare team who are uh, basically looking like the communities that they serve um, and so uh, in terms of falling short um, I wouldn't express it that way but there are some uh, institutions who are much further ahead um, on the road in that direction than others hmm so
1: that's a really interesting uh point of information around patients do better when their caregivers mirror their community. And you mentioned that some institutions are farther along. What needs to happen to support those institutions that are maybe a little further behind in terms of providing opportunity for people of color to Get the education needed and move into those types of roles, so that they could be part of that care of that patient.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a really great question, um, and and it's it's a very common um, uh, question that uh, comes up where uh, one will ask, well, why isn't there more people uh, representing certain communities in a particular role, and sometimes the answer is uh, no one qualified could be found, um, and that might be true to, in some cases, not always, but that can be true. So the way to address that, to remove any doubt about um, the uh, qualifications of a uh, you know prospective uh, you know candidates for particular roles, is to ensure that um, pipelines are created that facilitate the passage of uh, appropriately trained uh, individuals from various uh, sectors of the communities um, uh, starting from high school through the university uh, postgraduate training and beyond Um, and that the uh, pathways are uh, facilitated uh, to allow people to enter and um, and not exit prematurely, but come through at the other end. Uh, Appropriate mentorship structures uh, should be in place uh, for uh, peoples of color, uh, uh, folks from um, low socioeconomic groups uh, should be given the opportunities uh, that um, others who are more uh, affluent and potentially more uh, socially connected uh, will have. Uh, And so there there are lots of kids, for example, who uh, don't venture along certain career pathways because um, they didn't know they could apply. Nobody told them, you know, whereas kids who are more affluent and more socially connected, there's gonna be always a family member or friend who will, let them know what opportunities are available to them. Uh, For some uh, other kids in low socioeconomic settings, um, they just don't know. And so one has to try to fix the pipeline. So in terms of what needs to be done, there's several things, but um, uh, one is um, is fixing the pipeline. There's more than just a pipeline uh, fixing though, um, where, uh, there are um, uh, structural changes that need to be um, made within some institutions uh, to bring about um, uh, diversity, uh, at least an enhancement of diversity.
1: That's really in- interesting, the idea of having pipelines and, and to facilitate the progress of these kids through various uh, education opportunities and training so that they get to the place where they can move into these roles. And as you said, the messaging, too, around that these actually are opportunities available to them and, and addressing some of the socioeconomic factors that are at play there. Right. Yeah, right. You mentioned about structural things that need to be addressed within institutions, and where would you say we're at in terms of having these conversations? What's been your experience around that?
0: Well, in terms of changes that are that have to be made, and sort of more more structurally, I I, I would say that the conversations have started. But it's almost back to what I said earlier, in the sense that um, uh, you know. There, there are some uh, institutions who are further along the line um, and there are others who are just started. Mm-hmm. But it's important to, to start the conversations um, uh, with some acknowledgements. Um, and I often will say in talks that I give that you know uh, some of what I will say will make you feel uncomfortable they make me feel uncomfortable. But, uh, you know, we're all in this together. We we, we we want to all be friends. We have to have these conversations. We have to move forward. Um, and so I, I think that um, uh, starting some of these um, difficult conversations um, around equity, diversity and inclusion, um, or, uh, are extremely important um, uh, notwithstanding the fact that there will be some discomfort with some uh, things that are spoken about.
1: I appreciate what you're saying around almost leaning into that discomfort, recognizing that we are all in it together and, and as you mentioned we all are friends. When you consider these conversations and, and even just starting these conversations, what more do you think needs to be done to continue to move this forward? Well, in, in the process
0: of uh, moving things forward um, and starting the conversations, um, uh, there, there's several uh, things that need to be done. Um, uh, let me outline uh, you know, a few of these. Uh, number one, it's gonna be really important that everyone knows what one is talking about. And so for example, uh, you'll often hear people talk about um, uh, you know, racism um, and structural racism. But uh, the question is, well, uh, do people really know how that is defined? Um, and so, so therefore, going to be really important um, to to say, so that to 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 say to people, um, this is what I'm talking about, so that um, one has a, everyone who is involved in the conversation knows how uh, that particular entity, in in this case, racism, is defined. But there are other things. Um, that are important um, uh, to to define as well. So so terminology definitions and knowing exactly what um, uh, is uh, is 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 being defined is is so important. The other thing uh, I think uh, you know to another thing to recognize is that the people sometimes um, feel very guilty when uh, issues around um, uh, discussing, you know, racism and structural or uh, institutionalized racism, uh, you know, were to, you know, come up, uh, because they they feel, well, gee, they're at fault, but almost invariably, the, the systems that led to certain uh, uh, institutionalized norms that can be defined as racism, uh, you know, were put in place, uh, you know, a long time ago, and are not my fault or your fault or, you know, our colleagues faults. And so we inherited those um, and it's, it's up to us not to feel guilty, but recognize that they exist and try to figure out how to fix that. Um, the, uh, another point, um, that I think um, is is worth noting is um, there are um, especially within the healthcare space, uh, there are going to be things that um, would need to be become the law of the land for there to be structural, sustainable structural changes, and but by, by that I, I mean that. Um, if uh, how certain things are implemented depends on a particular institution then there'll be so much variability and so uh, when things become the law then um, uh, people are mandated to follow that and that can be um, can be me- measured um, and uh, and uh, you know uh, corrective measures put in place if people uh, the standards are not being met, And when we talk of the law in medicine within institutions, we talk about accreditation of hospitals, for example. And so if uh, as part of the accreditation requirements for a hospital, uh, acute care facilities, for example, uh, equity, diversity and inclusion, Uh, become part of the accreditation requirements, then you can see how uh, institutions would be forced to respond to that. And so we are working on that as one of the um, uh, hats that I wear as co-chair of the Black North Initiative. Um, And in that regard, uh, we're looking at um, how we might work with others to uh, uh, help to uh, bring about change that will be reflected by um, equity, diversity, and inclusion uh, being built into the accreditation standards for uh, hospitals.
1: Hmm. That's fascinating, and I can only say such important work. And so I'm wondering, around this work on equity, diversity, and inclusion, what has been the impact of COVID?
0: That's a really great question. Uh, uh, COVID has affected every single thing <laughs> and uh, that I know. Um, you know, in, in such a dramatic way, um, uh, there are um, some good things and some not so good things. Let me let me deal with the not so good things now. Um, first, it it, it it um we've had to direct so much attention to COVID now that some of the various activities that we all needed to be engaged in, or at least wanted to be engaged in that related to equity, diversity, and inclusion that a lot have been delayed simply because they're just, um, you know, other things that one has to deal with and somebody's dying, you know, that's a priority. So, so there's been a delay in, in getting some of the things that we wanted done, uh, you know, uh, done within a, a time frame that we were happy about. But at the same time, we've also seen COVID uh, disproportionately affecting communities that are already uh, compromised by, you um, being at the negative receiving end of the uh, discussions relating to equity, diversity, and inclusion, and so the, the same communities that we're talking about when it comes to ensuring that they're in the pipeline, ensuring that um, you know uh, that the institutions uh, look like them that um, that they are in the workplace, um, while we're working on that, up comes COVID and disproportionately affects them. So uh, a lot of attention now, and I'm involved in some of those activities, a lot of attention uh, is being directed at um, having a, a closer look at how we might address issues relating to uh, COVID disproportionately affecting racialized communities and how to ensure that uh, policies that are put in place to address COVID do so through an equity lens.
1: What would that look like?
0: I'll give you a few examples of, of, of that. Sure. So uh, let's take um, a case of uh, of, uh a um, provision of uh, masks or personal protective gear for individuals. Um, If if people uh, are being told that you should wear a mask, um, what if you can't afford a mask? Um, And so it means then that one has to, Uh, provide the individual and the communities with the support that they need or the supports that they need. So ideally, the person who cannot buy a mask should be able to walk into a pharmacy or a store or wherever and pick up masks either free or heavily subsidized. Uh, Somebody who has to take public transit should be able to Get free mass on that public transit. Now that's just one example. Other examples might be um, uh, COVID vaccination. Well, um, uh, if one wants to uh, ensure um, uh, equity, uh, and you um, say to somebody, um, "Okay, you know we have a vaccination clinic open this weekend. You can book online." What if you don't own a computer? Um, what if your iPhone is not smart enough to do that? You know, or your phone is not smart enough to do that. Um, what if you're not computer literate? Uh, how, what about the language? You know, issues. Um, and and what about if you live in a high-rise uh, building? And um, you suffer from severe arthritis and you can't, you're not that mobile. So so what it looks like varies, but the essence of it is that um, uh, whatever policy that one puts in place is um, uh, modified to provide the individuals with the supports that they need to uh, uh, benefit from that policy.
1: I mean, those are great examples, and it really does touch on the fact that we need to think differently and think um, innovatively so that we can address issues such as the ones that you outlined. Um, I'm curious to hear from you as to what your hope is around equity, diversity, and inclusion in healthcare.
0: Well, yeah, that's a a really great question. Um, There there are several uh, things that one need to do. Um, And to use the the metaphor or the example of what I alluded to earlier of uh, various um, uh, individuals in the healthcare space who are, you know, on the same road forward, but at different um, stages of the journey. I I think that um, what I would like to see happen is um, more uh, persons or institutions being much further along uh, the journey uh, forward. But what it means is that one would have to clearly indicate um, a an endpoint, at least a goal for what where people are going. You don't want to get on a road and you don't know where you're going. So that would mean putting in place certain things that uh, should be targeted that are obtainable goals. And one of those might be uh, accreditation of uh, healthcare institutions. And so Uh, If there's one thing and one thing only that is accomplished over the next two years is that uh, a prerequisite for the accreditation of uh, healthcare institutions must be uh, uh, standards that relate to equity, diversity, and inclusion then I think that would be an achievable and, and and would be a worthwhile goal. What the equity, diversity and inclusion standard would look like requires more discussion. But but I think that um, uh, having that new law um, from a hospital perspective is, is something that um, would be one major thing that I think should happen.
1: Mm, worthwhile indeed. Dr. Ellen, thank you so much for your time with me today. And uh, I would love to have you back at some point and hear more about this because I think it's such an important conversation. And I've certainly taken so much away from our conversation. So thank you.
0: My, my pleasure. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to be with you and um, for um, uh, having this conversation on uh, uh, a variety of issues but but notably uh, issues relating to um, the importance of uh, equity diversity and inclusion within the healthcare space
1: wonderful thank you
0: thanks so much for joining us today at central line leadership in healthcare also if you'd like what you heard please head on over to apple podcast to leave us a review be sure to subscribe so that you never miss an episode we'd love to get to know you on social media so check us out on twitter facebook and Instagram.